Hey there, everybody, and welcome. This is Tavo D'Arcy, and we're here at the DFW Leader Ministry Online Fellowship, but also teaching at Apostolic Teammate U, and you can join us for our Human Doctrine series. We're going to try to make them short. All right, we're going to go through the males and the females prior to the law today, and we're going to do this to minimize and defrag accusation in Christian ministry. This is directed to all colors and styles of born-again Christians. However, anyone who's not a Christian or in that same theology is always invited, but please know the particular message is to you know, speak to the Christian so we can avoid bias and accusation and get rid of gender bias in ministry as well. All right, so let's go over to Adam today. Adam and Eve, who did what in that garden? Let's talk about it. In part one, I gave you the overview from the big download. It's 33 minutes. We're gonna try not to go that long, but it goes from what happened uh, when the accuser came from Genesis 3, but also how the church has been given the right, the victory back over the accuser, what comes out of our lips, self-justified accusation, racism, bias, demeaning, backtalk, whatever, uh, by the gift of Jesus Christ. So we're going to talk about Jesus, defrag his father, the creator, later, but today we're going to work probably just on Adam and a bit of Eve as well. Genesis 1. So when I've dealt with a lot of ministry for many decades, grew up in ministry, I realized that I had been <laughs> naive. I was not raised under bigotry, chauvinism, misogyny. I didn't know it existed in Christian ministry because my parents were racist. They were racist or gender biased. So I was raised in freedom, freedom to hear God. When I look back on it, it was Ephesians 22, 20, excuse me, Ephesians 5, 21, mutual submission and the fear of the Lord of both my parents, his parents, everyone we knew in my family, and then that made it easy and simple that the wife just said, you know, that's chain of command, I'm respected, I want to, you know, please God, and I want to, you know, submit to my husband, so it wasn't like this big deal, and it was not an ordeal, you just knew that that was chain of command, down to earth, everybody gets along, you negotiate, and if the, the head person, the if you're legally married in the Christian sense, then if there's a mute, if you've mutually submitted and you can't agree, then you just say, well, the husband, you're the tiebreaker, go hear from God. And, you know, that's fine. That's keeping a gentle and respectful view of submission. So we'll talk about that another day again. But the um, issue is that ties in, that New Testament ties in with what happens now when we're teaching Genesis 1 through 3 because we're teaching and making a point, this is prior to the need for the law. There was no Hebrew law because there were no Hebrews. <laughs> In other words, there was no, no need for law. There was no murder, accusation, things that hurt people because it was sin-free, guileless. Everyone was guileless, guiltless, and there was a relationship primarily with the Father that was so amazing. So let's get into this. So we have the creation of Jesus, the Father, the Creator, Father God, the Eternal Father. I always picture Father God as the Creator who was in his type B mode prior to coming out into type A mode, assertive in Genesis 1 and saying, let there be light. See behind me all the clouds. Who could have thought up all the, all the cells, the molecular components making clouds and earth and all the amazing things. So he was a great intellect, a great visionary, and a great one that would be like a scientist, uh, architect, uh, who would just sort of create and dream up 
before we meet him officially when he rises up and says, let there be light. I like everybody who can't imagine that, can envision and wrap your head around it, your imagination that God could really be there active and alive and like that. Well, why are we watching all those video games and all those fantasy science fictions when they can tell all these things that you believe could happen? Why well, limit God? I don't limit God. So Genesis 1. We look at the formation of the heaven and earth, and then we look to where man is mentioned, the humans are created. This is human doctrine, all right? In verse chapter 1 of Genesis, and it is in verse 26, it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over the earth, over the creeping things, creeping things upon the earth. All right, so I'm not going to get into all the, you know, all that, but everything I say is a submitted sila for you to pick apart, think about, critique, not accuse, but to critique and see if it really lines up with the Bible. So you have your permission and I have the permission to think unusually if that need is needed. All right. So Father God said, let us make humans, man, mankind in our image, in our image. The use of the word us is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God, right? In our image, their image. It said Jesus came representing the image of his Father. That's a huge theological discussion. I will not get into that. We're not going to go there. Don't have time. Keep keeping it to Adam today. So God formed, and he said, let us make man in our image. There was a human creation, the first ones, the prototypes. And it said in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. That means the human race in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. But I'm teaching today, I'm teaching plain old, basic tradition, born again, Bible-believing man and woman. That's what we're teaching. That's my field, all right? We're teaching it to defrag accusation, fear, false theology, hate speech, things that are disrespectful to anybody, even if they have a different theology, if they're not a Christian, it's really important now to get rid of that fault-finding accusation and respect all kinds of people, even when their theology is different. And see, I'm not a controller. I don't have to have my way. That's why I let you, you know, I think it's important that I encourage you to hear God for yourself. So I will do the same. All right. So we see the point is God created man in his own image, in the image of God. That's a huge topic. I can't envision the image of God. I really can't. And that is not my topic here. All right. God created man in his image. In the image of man, he created originally organic male and female, all right? And God blessed them and said, be fruitful to them and multiply, replenish the earth. That's why they had male and female to replenish, all right? It was a relationship. No theology, just relationship. One with God, one with each other. No friction, no fighting, no harmony, no bias, all right? God created man in his own image. He created male and female. He blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over everything. And then he gave them all the wonderful things in the earth. And that is a huge passage, but you can read it for yourself. It goes from that point in Genesis 1 to 2. And it talks about 
that the Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden, verse 2 of chapter 2, and there he put the man whom he formed, and a river went out of it, all these amazing things. It was organic. Everything was ergonomic seating. Everything was no human additives, false synthetic, anything. It was just a beautiful creation, no sweat, no problems. Everything was gorgeous. You could eat off the ground if you wanted to. No germs. All right. So then we get to an interesting part. It said the Lord put the, the man in the garden and put him. Now, this is skipping time frames because he says he's talking to the man. He put the man in the garden because, as we know, it comes later that God formed the man, the human man first, Adam. All right. Then out of Adam comes Eve through his DNA. All right, so we're going to teach that, and we find it here. Chapter 2, it says God put the man in the garden to dress it and keep it, to give him some work. And the Lord God commanded the man, you can eat of every tree. This is a very big deal right here. Chapter 2, verse 16. And the Lord put the man in the garden, not the woman yet. And he said to the man alone without Eve, nobody there rustling in the verses to distract him. He said, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. And in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. So there is this gap that is not taught. And the gap is huge because many people through tradition and passed down false theology and logic presume that the woman is guilty and sinful and wicked all the tongue talkers a lot in that <laughs> Jezebel spot. It's because women are, you know, out of order. They're 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 not to be trusted. They're controllers. They're seducers. They're all sorts of horrible things. It's really disgusting. That's where we're confronting it. They're controllers. <laughs> so we're just pinpointing some doctrine and submitting it, of course, as a respectable sea law. It's just to clear up the stuff. It affects children, it affects women, young women, teenagers, grown-ups. It affects a lot of people that are true Christians in community, and it cannot be any longer tolerated, false teaching, the scowl of false accusation in Bible theology. That's the issue. So we put our finger on this big deal, all right? Adam's by himself with God first. He's put in the garden. God says directly to Adam, here, here, son, you can have anything you want. You can. It's going to be great. Just don't eat one tree. That's it. The knowledge of good and evil. Eve is not there. God didn't want a puppet. He wanted a relationship. He said, I want somebody that will prize me and love me. Even if I've given them everything, I'll have one little test to see if they really love me more than their own self, their own, you know, their own choices, their own pleasure. I just want to see, says the creator God, who really loves me. And that's the bottom line for everything in which we all have our choices, even our mistakes. It's who are we going to please? I have to work on me. You work on you. That's it. So in chapter two, we see this crux in teaching that really matters. After verse 17, when God has given the instruction to Adam alone, God, God says to himself, It is not good that man shall be alone. I will make him a helpmeet. And out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field, and he brought them to Adam, and so forth. So what happened was, let's skip down to verse 21 of chapter 2. 
and the Lord caused Adam to have a deep sleep. And while he slept, he took slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh. And then he made from the rib that he'd taken from the man, the woman, and brought her to the man. All right, so we have another really big point. Here we have Eve taken out of the DNA, chain of command order, not control, not a slave, not a waitress, chain of command order, but also the same DNA. That means she's not second rate. She's not second class. She's not low class. She's not prone to any more things to get into mischief or sin or evil than Adam himself. It's the same DNA, okay? The reason I'm saying this, I had never met a culture of just warped, perverse Christian subculture of demeaning chauvinism and cultural woman enslavement or entire, I don't know what it was. It was just like disgusting. So I thought I didn't know this existed. I'd come from the East. I didn't had never met that really big bias. I thought this is something, you know, God had said when he told me to study his body, the Christians age 24 until now, he said, if you come across anything that hurts people or hurts my good name, my safe good name, more than three times, three times or more you have to teach on it. Well, I got this many more times and I just didn't, I thought, man, this is uh, God putting my heart for this new move of God. This is not the old area. This is not the old snake in the grass area of Christian leadership. No, it isn't. It's not the good old boys will be boys, Eli to play priesthood either. Let me make it plain. So in the garden, we have chain of command. We have very peaceful garden, no fighting, no needs to be over anybody under be That's the law. When that came, the law came and transgression came on the earth. That's when all these rules had to be put up to guard people from each other and from, you know, killing each other and stealing and all sorts of things. Relationship, big troubles. So it's a relationship theology issue. The Lord says it's not good for man to be alone because he loved him. Father God loved Adam and respected him. And to me that God would tell him first that he don't eat of that tree before he formed. It had a special need for the man, the real man, the Christian man to know that they need to have a special relationship with God. He wants that. He doesn't want them to trade off and say, oh, I'll let my wife do it for me. I'll let my wife think it and teach the Bible. I'll let my wife pray for me. I'm not good enough or I'm not needed. I'm not valuable. No, that's a lie. That is why to me, Ephesians 5.21 in the New Testament is such a hero role model because I was raised around it. Nobody taught me that. I just look back and I think, man, my parents were like a cup team and they did what was right. You know, some people back in those days, the woman didn't do the financial bookkeeping. She did. It was just whoever did what you're supposed to do. I call it human doctrine. It's just like human. Whatever you're good at, do it. There was no big I, no titles, no entitlement in my parents' marriage or the ones I've grown up around. It was also they were not <laughs> tongue speakers either. <laughs> That's it. It is this doctrine, this teaching. A lot comes from people in the Holy Spirit moves. Hard to say the Phariseeism that I have dealt with and dealt with and culturally dealt with of bias is mostly, usually, in a lot of the strong-willed um, charismatics. And uh, let's just teach them. Hopefully they can uh, submit this as a seal. I respect them. I just feel like that it, when you represent either today in ministry, you're going to represent your choice. 
Are you going to represent the office of the Messiah in Isaiah 11, 2 and 3, whether you speak in tongues or not? He would delight in himself in the fear of the Lord. He had the might and power of all God's seven spirits. All right. Delighted himself in the fear of the Lord. Would not He was made sharp of discernment, but he would not judge by the sight of his eyes nor make decisions based on what he heard. He would not accuse or judge by the sight of his eyes. He would not believe evil reports or start gossip. So there's a lot of character things going on in that verse, and I believe I can teach and prove that the hero role model of the father, if I can get over to that, in human doctrine is not an accuser. The Christian is not an accuser in parenting, profiting, ministry, pastoring, in any kind of, I mean, we may fall into that, but we have to repent and not do it again and train better and do better with our thinking. All right. So we have teaching. There is no need for any rules, no Ten Commandments, no law at this time because there's no sin. Everybody had self-government. They had the soft heart. They had a perceptive nature. They were trying to please God because they love God 100%. It was a first love, ongoing lifestyle. So when you teach that over in the Ephesians marriage, I believe it's mutual submission to the fear of the Lord, Ephesians 5, 21 for male and female, and then you go into the woman submit. Well, I'd never heard of all the teaching that's out there until I got in ministry and was grown. It was like, woman, you're not submitted. You know, that type of, no one I knew and wanted to deal with, let's put it that way, but I would visit churches, you know, amongst the Christians, and you know this is out there. So that's why you have to bring it out to teach on it and instruct, because it's not the old day. This is not the foreign day of back under the law causing heartache with slavery and just ignorance gone wild. You don't want that. This is about loving and respecting everybody. Everybody's valuable equally. All right, so we have God make the woman out of his DNA. And therefore, all these things are going on. It says they are not, they're both naked and not ashamed. So that is because sin creates shame, creates dirt, creates, you know, worse stuff. Because scenario back then, it was innocent, no guile. First chapter three. Now, this is the big one. And I won't go long. But the big one is that now this happy garden Everybody's happy. Everybody's loving. Everybody's got their needs met. Nobody's fighting. Nobody's crying. Nobody's, you know, all right. All their needs are met. Well, guess what? Something has been going on, and we read about it before and taught about it in Revelation 3. The mutiny in heaven, the first worship leader, the big Lucifer, Satan himself, <laughs> is trying to take God's place. He's jealous of God, accuses God starts a mutiny with all the angels and then in revelation 12 7 through 11 you can read about it yourself he's thrown down into onto the earth when he's thrown down to the earth he arrives the accuser himself the old blame shifter the accuser in the male gender noticed in the male gender he's thrown into the earth and he lands in the garden in a, <laughs> in a serpent suit no, it isn't funny. It is funny, but okay. So the serpent, to me, 
is beguiling and manipulative and controlling and constricting and deceiving all the things you'd think of as a demonic person or the heart of evil. It's similar to the Leviathan sneaky snake of superior pride over in Job 41. You can read that. So the serpent, the sneaky snake comes down. He's really angry with God. He is so angry. Now he's even angry. First, he tried to take God's power and place in heaven, displace God. God was not fooled. He's bigger. He threw him out. So now he's really mad. He wants to wreck the whole creation, the plan of everyone having fun forever and beautiful life and no problems and no cares and no tears. He's coming down to do it a different way to sneaky snake in and accuse. And this is what happens with relationships. It's a relationship issue. All right. So the snurpet, the snurpet, the serpent was more subtle. He's a sneaky snake. And he goes down and he accuses. This is the issue. We've got to pay attention in chapter three. It affects all the New Testament people who think they're modeling Jesus and males and females. Adam and Eve things. So we go to the garden and we find that the snake comes in and he uses accusation. That's his name. He is the accuser, not God, not Jesus, not the Father heart, not the Holy Spirit. This is the accuser there and he's bent on creating demonic trouble and trials. So he goes there and he says to Eve, Eve is by herself. And he plays around and he fixes his language. He coach, he has a different, he says, you know, God didn't want you. Eve, he, he didn't want you to be as smart as he is. He, so just eat that tree. It'll be okay. Well, Eve is deceived. We admit it. Eve got deceived. That's wrong. However, when we look at what happened back on, based on what we've just said about Genesis 2 and Adam, the firstborn being told by God, head of home, chain of command, head of planet, governor, she's the governor's wife, let's say. Well, then when Adam is sitting there and Eve comes up, she must have looked really pretty, the sunlight on her beautiful hair. So she comes up and says, here, Adam, try this fruit. Well, Adam should have, and he could have said, Eve, no, God told me not to eat that fruit and you ate it quickly let's go repent and tell god maybe he'll forgive us i believe he would have so adam was the authority chain of command that had the guard governing guiding gate of to represent him you know the family to god so he had a choice on that spot would he please god and eat would he please god and not eat the fruit the god who made him who formed Eve for him, who put him on the planet rent-free, all right, then he had a choice of his love, his first love relationship. So he had that as a choice to be allegiance, to please God first, or to his wife, who he loved dearly. So he chose the wife, and that's what the Bible said got him into trouble. He pleased his wife not God. And see, that's a sad thing. Even though I may think, oh, I'm doing okay, or I'm not, you know, it's really, who am I pleasing when I choose not to do something? And sometimes you get an addictive sin, like sugar or whatever it could be. So you have to work on you all the time. So the issue is not to represent one gender or the other as a mean or 
crafty or uh, dece easily deceived, foolish, stupid, dumber vessel, which is out there, which is out there. It's so sad. <laughs> I never met it till last 15 years. Believe me. Okay, we got to train people. Got to train the men. Train these men. Train these women. If they're taught under that, they're going to be thinking they are. All right. So the Satan comes into the garden. He goes to Eve. He deceives. He goes. She goes to Adam. He willfully participates. All right. This is the interesting part. All right. So she went over to Adam, and now we're getting down into verse chapter three, verse four. And they heard God walking in the cool of the day when they had eaten that fruit, their blinders came off and they knew they were naked, unclothed. So now they were ashamed. That's where shame comes in. Fear and shame, fear of discovery. And then you find that they're trying to come up with their own solution. They came up with an earthly solution. Let's cover ourselves. They didn't say, let's go repent, which they could have. Let's go confess that we did it willfully and deceived and did it, but they didn't. Instead, they come up with their own human game plan, which is like most people in life. All right, we're going to figure out how to get ourselves out of it and avoid being responsible. All right. So then they hear God, verse 8, chapter 3, they heard God in the voice of the Lord walking in the garden, the cool of the day, and Adam and Eve hid themselves. See, they're starting to act like the snake, ducking and avoiding. Their carnal natures kicked in and they heard the God, the Lord and they hid themselves in the, from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees. And the Lord God said unto that, said unto Adam. Now here's a point right there. Verse nine, they're both guilty. Adam willfully participated, head of home, head of planet. All right. Guard, guide and govern the fam. All right. So then we find that God comes, and who does he go to? This is the key point. God goes to respect his firstborn man. Made first in his image, he goes to Adam and says, Adam, where are you? He doesn't say Eve, Eve, where are you? Adam, where, and God, see, this is another part about the father. Many people have no clue about God, the father and the garden. They've never been taught. So they're thinking that God is the one. God is the one. You're going to burn in hell. You're going to, you know, all this. Your hate speech. All those nasty things representing, they say, picketing at funerals. They think they're deceived because they are ignorant. They're clueless in their theological rationalization or, or infantile understanding. All right. They have no clue that the father didn't accuse. The father showed up, but he was a great dad. He was a hero role model. He knew that his whole plan had just been wrecked. Human suffering would be horrible. Adam and Eve had put everything in jeopardy of the plan. So he could have snarled at him, cussed at him, fought with him, demean them, despise them, pointed his finger, condemned them, accused them. But did the father do that? No. He showed up and all he said was like a great dad. He said, Adam, where are you? He did not say, Eve, where are you? He said, Adam, where are you? Because he's logical. He is calm. 
he is not stressed because he's God. And he also has the Holy Spirit discipline of self-control. So he said, Adam, where are you giving Adam hang time? Adam, I'm going to give you a little moment to fess up. See if you will. Adam didn't do that. Okay. This is great parenting and pastoring and profiting and mama and anybody teaching for this kind of upfront, hold them responsible, not avoiding it, not talking about them, not denying they did it, but instead going to them and giving them a chance to man up, human up, fess up. Okay. Huge to me, huge in integrity and character down in the grassroots. So they heard the father, the father came, he called to Adam, his firstborn, verse nine of chapter three and said, where art thou? And Adam, he's waiting to see what Adam would do. So Adam says, Adam's cooked up a plan, quickly thinking, figuring out how to handle, you know, get away with it is really what he's doing. He says, well, God, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid and I was naked, so I hid myself, as in duh, all right. And Lord said back, you know, Lord's not fooled. He says, but I, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten the tree that I told you not to eat? And the man said, and this is what happens. It starts with a quick shuffle to try to duck and avoid being accountable. A relationship manipulation. Adam is starting to re represent the snake by manipulating God. Like people try to manipulate other people in ministry or other people, right? So he said, verse 12, it was the woman you gave me, God. It was the woman. He starts not to just con God and duck and avoid manipulate through skill, art, dark art, abiding relationship, theology gone wild. Now he says, I'm going to blame shift, accuser, blame shift, get the heat off of me onto her his beloved wife who he wanted to please more than God. So we see mixture. We see a lot of confusion, you know, a lot of big deals of relationship issues in the first, just these short verses of chapter three. So Adam tries to blame shift and beguile, create a, you know, subterfuge, get God off my back. All right. She did it. It was the woman thou gave, you gave me. He, he's, he's using God. He's accusing God to God. He said, you know, because you gave me that woman, she did it. I had to do it, God. It is your fault. Doesn't it sound like real people now? Doesn't it sound a lot of people? It sounds so familiar. All right. And the Lord said unto the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me. So one said, that one made me do it. And when she got under heat, that one made me do it. The serpent made me do it. That's just like life is. That's just real life and relationship skill in a dark way. And these, you know, skilled manipulation, trying to avoid being accountable. That is just clean old life right now. It really is. So we're going to stop at this one. And, you know, we know there's a curse that happened. They're kicked out of the garden. And the worst thing that happened, that this sin, this iniquity, gets worse and worse and worse. And it goes down to their children, verse 4. We'll talk about that as another relationship, human doctrine, 
the next time. God bless you. If you have any questions, write me at dfwleader at gmail.com. God bless you. This is Tavo DRC signing off for now. Bye-bye. God is good.